All right. Well, I think we're live. Uh, hello. If you're tuning in here, it is Friday. This is the Morning Brushback Podcast. I'm your co-host, uh, Dan Blewett, and I'm here with Bobby Stevens. Bobby, how you doing? Daniel. And we have an awesome guest here today. Uh, injury expert, Will Carroll, is on the show. Will, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's been a while since uh, I've seen you guys. Yeah. So for those of you out here, Will is a celebrated sports writer. He's really your go-to guy if you especially if you're in the, uh, the fantasy sports world now or if you you bet on sports at all or if you just want to stay up to date with your team and you're you know you, just like with Chris Sale like all these breaking news with injuries and obviously it's it's unfortunately a constant flow especially in baseball but um, for all the best up-to-date information Will's a really really good resource on the web so if you don't follow him on Twitter he's at injury expert and he has an awesome newsletter uh, which we'll put the uh, in the show notes so if you're interested in, in staying up to date with, with injury updates, um, Will's been doing this for a long, long time. So we appreciate his expertise. And, and you're a baseball guy, too. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, been a baseball guy my whole life. Uh, and y- y- It's amazing. You get uh, my age, you start looking back on things and just how much uh, it's gone. And then uh, this year, prior to the whole coronavirus thing, uh, I, was, I was actually back in uniform, which was kind of a shock to the system. And, and, and to my mirror. Yeah, so how did your experience with UND go? So you were with the University of Indianapolis, which is they're a really strong Division II. Um, how did that go? Tell me about it. I, it was a really interesting experience. You know, I, I learned a lot uh, on a lot of sides. Uh, the coaches there already, Trevor Ford, uh, Landon Hutchinson was the, the pitching coach, is the pitching coach. Uh, let me in and kind of just let me toy around. Uh, I tried not to mess up the talent that they had, uh, which was a lot. Uh, we had uh, three starting pitchers that were, uh, you know, all 88 to 90, two lefties. Uh, one of our lefties, Corey Bates, uh, had, a, had a 15-strikeout game that I talked about in my last uh, – by the way, 15 and 7. Uh, he went all 7. Uh, they let me experiment. The, we used all sorts of technology. We had, you know, Rapsodo, Modus, video overlays, high-speed cameras, uh, you name it. We pretty much had that technology uh, driving on track behind us. So tons of stuff that we were using and a lot of talent. We went 12-3 and three before the season was uh, postponed slash canceled. And uh, we, got, we got to do a lot of things. So how did your team, I mean, I assume every team took it pretty hard and pretty yeah. much the same way. But I mean, how did you feel personally being in the mix with all that? I mean, this is your first season back. You guys were crushing it and really hitting your stride. And then, I mean, what's that like? How, how is breaking the mood to everybody? It was really strange because you know, it happened so fast. We were driving back from, uh, we had played Purdue Northwest and split a double header uh, in the cold rain. Uh, and, as we're driving back on the bus, uh, it's about a two, two and a half hour ride. Uh, and, and we had stopped at Portillo's for dinner. And by the time we got back on the bus, the world was starting to change. The whole Rudy Gobert right. thing happened. Tom Hanks uh, announced that he had it. And you could just see everybody on their phones, on Twitter, <coughs> put the presidential address up on the, the, the TVs on the vans. And... It was really intriguing because, you know, none of these kids had lived through anything like that. None of us have. Uh, 
Yeah. But there was nothing, you know, I can remember 9-11 clearly. I can remember, you know, the Challenger explosion, which is probably beyond you guys' age. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where you felt everything was changing so fast uh, and it was going to be one of those moments. But, yeah, it went way beyond that. It went from, you know, we're playing baseball on Wednesday. The season's gone on Saturday. Uh, and, and it's just heartbreaking for the kids, especially the ones that had a real shot of being drafted this year. Yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was something I wanted to ask, ask you as, as a college coach. How did you feel about how quickly everything just got wiped away? I mean, I know it was a difficult situation. Like you said, we, there's really no, there's no blueprint to what's happening right now, but I believe, I think they came out really, really quickly with a, with a pretty, pretty set in stone decision. Yeah. It sure felt that way at the time. Uh, And and I can look at it now and say, Oh yeah, that was, that was the right decision because of all that's happened afterwards. Um at the time it was rough because you're like, what you're doing it now. Can't you just postpone a couple weeks of games? Yeah. And, you know, there's a ton of stuff. Uh, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to praise the NCAA, but it feels like they handled it right. Uh, looking back on it as, as much as I hated that it happened. And, and that that year is essentially going to vanish from history. Uh, yeah. I can't see any other way to have done it. Um, you know, there, there's still some people out there. I have a friend who has a son, really uh, good catching prospect uh, out east in New Jersey, and they haven't canceled the season yet. So everybody's in this weird sort of holding pattern. Wait, he's at a college or where's yeah, that high kid? School. Oh, got high school. Really? Yeah, I don't want to give too much away because yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. recruiting that kid. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and um, so, yeah, super catching prospect. Uh, so, um, you know, I feel bad for them because, you know, what do you do? Obviously, you've got to stay in shape. you got to try to keep everything going. We were trying hard. to figure out how are we going to keep our arms going. <clears throat> and you really can't even play catch, let alone do a good workout, um, which is one of my major worries for MLB. Uh, but, yeah, I hated it. But I see now that all those quick decisions were probably the right ones. Doing it in a kind of – rolling away saying okay two weeks are canceled two weeks are canceled that that'd be like stabbing you multiple times yeah and you wonder because at the time you know the ivy league was the first ones to yeah. shut it down and you're like really and then after for me for me like half the day i'm like uh-oh this is gonna be it for everybody you know if yeah the one of the one of the most academically respected conferences has shut it down this is this is gonna happen quick and and you wonder if they didn't do that, if they didn't pull the trigger, how much, you know, maybe it, it, everyone was kind of would keep going a little bit longer. I think starting with a good example and I mean, say that's good leader, leadership from the Ivy League, but Absolutely. they were decisive. They're decisive. Yeah. And I think we saw it with the NCAA tournament where they were kind of talking about some things they wanted to do. They had this nuclear option that they were going to bring all the teams to one site. Um, and, and it sort of makes sense in your head. But, you know, when, when teams like Duke and Kansas started saying, you know what, I don't think we want to travel anywhere, uh, yeah. you, you realize, yeah, this isn't going to work. And, again, taking this to Major League Baseball, I, I wonder whether they're going to be able to pull this off because we have a team in Canada. And Canada seems to be handling this like adults. 
Um, <laughs> and, and we'll have to see where it goes, but it, you can't do it with 29 teams. Yeah, this is true. Well, so well, you gotta, I'm going to give, give you some background information. So if you're going to start <laughs> criticizing the way things have been handled with the Trump administration, which I'm very critical, I, I think objectively, mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to say they acted slowly. Um, Bobby's going to leap through the camera and fight you. Okay. Bobby's no. a, Bobby's a, Bobby's a conspiracy theorist and he will whitewash anything to make Mr. Trump look exceptional. That's, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but this is, this is, he feels like you and some, Will talked off camera. I feel like this some of the best conversations ambush. we have, basically the way the show goes is we, we set up here. Bobby's a little groggier than I because he's on uh, Central Time. Mm. And we get the show going. And then as soon as the show's done, we rap, talk over the things a little bit. And then we bickered each other for about 15 minutes about Donald Trump. <laughs> and then we go off air or we just we finish this. I start to edit. He starts to do his thing. And then we text each other angrily for about 40 minutes. That's <laughs> our flow right now. Sounds so. like me and my dad. <laughs> yeah, it works so. pretty good. I it's think. good. I mean, Bobby came around. You came around a little bit last time, and I basically my point is you can't defend everything that he does because I I, no, I defend some you, of the stuff that Trump did. I think his his um his decisive travel ban. I think there was nothing wrong with it. You can call that racist. I don't think that's racist. I think it's just look. There's this thing happening in China, and we're going to lock down travel. Um, like I'm not. I think he's a deplorable human being to use that Hillary Clinton's word, but. But at the same time, morality aside, at sometimes you can't say anyone's making terrible decisions all the time because he's clearly not. He's clearly not. Um, but this was slow rolled for sure. But I think, like you said, with the NCAA, they didn't slow roll it. They they were they moved quick. Yeah, exactly. To exactly. their credit. To their credit. Back to baseball. I think uh, the NBA handled it correctly, uh, and they absolutely had the chance to have that go horribly wrong. Yeah. I think Adam Silver did a great job pulling that back together. We saw Rudy Gobert acting like an idiot uh, and acknowledging he acted like an idiot and, uh-huh. and turning that around. I don't think he's going to end up the, the, the goat in, in a bad way. Uh, goat, goat is a word in sports. It's completely <laughs> turned around. Um, but, you know, he's not going to end up uh, a bad guy. Uh, you know, all the people that got tested, the NBA turned that around as well because it was like, well, how are they getting tests and nobody else is? Well, they're rich. Uh, and so right. they, t- they turned that around. Uh, the NFL is the interesting one to me because they're, they're the 800-pound gorilla of everything. And they've managed by keeping their league season going to kind of rule the sports world. I mean, there are only two things going on. There's like, well, besides Belarusian soccer, which is horrible and nobody should be betting on it. Hey, um, hey, 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 hey. When's that you cheese can, rolling? I you can bet on anything. You throw the yeah. cheese the cheese thing down the hill. Is that still happening? Because that still needs oh, to happen. No, no, because that's England. Oh, social distance rules don't apply there. Or we could do the Scottish thing where you have the pole and you chuck it. That can yeah, still... I, I, I sorry. think we can go Scottish games. I, I digress. All right, so back to football. By keeping their league season going, you know, Tom Brady was the biggest story... You know, it was coronavirus Tom Brady uh, on, on the theoretical paper. Um, I think that was great. That was smart business. You know, you, you can sign Tom Brady and still be reasonably socially distant and all that. They didn't have a ticker tape parade for him. It wasn't as big a deal. They, wouldn't, they didn't cover it the same way, but it still got the same 
note. I mean, even you know, little free agents uh, that were getting signed were, were big across the league. I think the draft is going to be bigger than ever because, for God's sakes, there's no other sports. Yeah, for I mean, sure. I, yeah. I sat there and watched an iRacing event the other day, and <laughs> I, I'm a big esports advocate, and I'm disappointed that esports isn't having more of a moment, but iRacing actually is. Um, and, and, you know, watching the shows, it looks really good. It sounds, you know, they've got the regular announcers. They are on the NASCAR one. They had Jeff Gordon. Uh, so people were taking it seriously. What um, is iRacing? I don't, I'm it, trying to Google it's this. It's video game time. racing. Oh. I mean, it's a very kid. technological, uh, I mean, some of the sim setups are upwards hmm. of six figures. Um, you know, three screens, multiple computers. It's what they use to, to simulate things uh, for the teams and testing. Formula Ones have, you know, these giant ones on, on hydraulics that move in the turns. Um, so that's a thing. Uh, what, what I'm curious about with the NFL is because they've not only said that it's going to start uh, with the draft and do everything normal, they're saying they're going to start the season on time. They're, they haven't canceled minicamp yet, which is May. I can't believe that. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's any way we're going to get that going. Um, no, there can't be. That's crazy. So th- they're going to have to figure that out. And they could end up the bad guy. Because if they start canceling very late, that's going to be disappointing for people. I think they're going to have to figure out a way to you know, come up with something. Either you can delay football. You can do a 10-game season and the world doesn't end, except for the TV money. Um, expand the playoffs, do a tournament. There's there, there's a hundred different ways to do this, and it doesn't feel like they're taking it seriously uh, because they've been lucky enough to say, "Hey, we've got four more months to figure this out." Yeah. Well, the NFL is good. Oh, let's go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Is that if you're just tuning in, we're here with Will Carroll. We're talking sports. Um, Will's a sports writer, friend of ours, uh, injury expert. So if you're just tuning in, um, we got a lot still to cover here today. We're going to cover. Uh, some of his experiments as a uh, pitching coach with uh, UIndy. Um, I'm excited to talk about openers. So, you know, you use that with great success this year. Um, we're currently talking about football, but Bobby, what do you got? I was just going to jump in a little bit on the footballs. They're, they've got armor on. They can pretty much do whatever they want. That's, they, rule, they rule the headlines. They rule, you know, the offseason takes – yeah. Takes the headlines over baseball yeah, they season. Do. They do. I mean, they've got they've got the power. If if the basically sending the guys out to bang their heads and get concussions and having no repercussions on the the PR end, or if they did, they just brush them off. I mean, did, you know, not canceling their mini camps, dropping the bucket for for NFL. See, I, I don't think it is. I, they are almost bulletproof. But I, I think they're going to have to be good citizens on this and, and figure this out. Uh, the, the other worry I have is, is that we're all baseball guys here. If, if baseball has to push back until, let's say, July, and they're going to try to extend the season, they've talked about you know, the World Series at Christmas, uh, which yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah. They're going to get buried. In, you know, it's not just ratings. I don't think ratings matter as much as people let them on. Um, but you're going to get just the mind share behind football will be horrible. You know, yeah, normally you get that summer gap where between the NBA playoffs and the start of football 
it, that belongs to baseball. And, and that's been acknowledged. I, I have a friend that works for a, an MLS team, and he talks about how do we get in that gap? And that's where they have to kind of find some share if they're going to continue to grow in America. Uh, baseball can't give that up, but they also can't jump in. So yeah. I think if they start, if, if they can't get going until July or worse, August, they should just cancel the season, uh, which will cause all sorts of problems. But playing that late uh, just isn't going to work. They'll, ha- they'll have to go with something, a super short season, some sort of FA Cup. I don't know what they can do. Uh, they'll be in a very, very bad position. Well, Will, do you think, I mean, there's been talk about shortening the season for a long time. They also are doing the, what I find really controversial and strange of adding more teams. Like, oh, everyone makes the playoffs now, right? Like, obviously, not everyone makes the playoffs, but there's more teams than ever that make the, the MLB playoffs, yeah. which, to me, it's like, why do we play 162 games to really prove who's the best team over a really big sample size but oh, you can just like lose your season in a one one game playoff because it's more exciting. I think that's I think that's BS personally. Yeah. But if this becomes the experiment where we have a ninety game season or a sixty game season, and it's gangbusters and everyone's excited, like there's less baseball, so maybe each game's a little more special. You know, kind of like when you get married, maybe <laughs> like see your wife every day, she's not quite as exciting. You see your husband every day, he's a little more annoying. Um, but there's only so much baseball, so maybe we can have a little more fun with each game. Do you think that this could be that experiment for a shorter season afterward? Yes. Uh, simple answer, yes. Complex answer, no. Uh, taking baseball down to anything short of 154 completely throws off the numbers. That's and the true. numbers That's very true. mean more in baseball than anything. If I say yeah. 56, everybody knows what I'm talking about. If I talk, you know, 714, 406, uh, you know, there's also a 20-game winner. You're not going to have – you barely have 20-game winners these days, but you wouldn't have a 20-game winner in a 100-game season. Uh, <clears throat> numbers would mean different things. The shorter numbers would mean, you know, a little more lucky means you're hitting 400. Um, so, plus, when you think about seasonal numbers, this is one of the things I looked at in the newsletter a couple of weeks ago, if you're say Albert Pools, you're you're in the Hall of Fame, but do you get some of those those really big like 600 home run numbers? You know, he's definitely on a downtrend here in his 40s. Uh, we'll have to see. You know, how much longer can he play? I think he has what two years left on his deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'll be about 50 by that time. Uh, <laughs> and so it's it's one of those things where it, it, it's, it's easier for him. He might lose some of those big numbers. If you're a guy like Mike Trout. Yeah. Here's, here's the th- tough one to me. Yeah, Mike Trout, as great as he is, as much as he's done, if he loses just a season, he goes from like 40% to like 20% to get to 500 because he doesn't put up those huge – 50 home run seasons every year. He's a guy kind of like Hank Aaron. He's not only going to have to be consistently at 40, he's going to have to do it for a longer period of time. Uh, And you wonder, players just don't seem to play that long anymore. Um, They're making enough money that they can walk away. And I think Trout's going to be one of those guys. 
Trout's an interesting one. We were talking about this the other day, a bunch of guys. Uh, what do you know about Mike Trout? If I said, give me five facts about Mike Trout, not related to baseball, could you do it? I well, I think that's, that's the point, right? He's very, he keeps himself out of the spotlight. Is that the point you're making? It, it's not just out of the spotlight. I think he's boring, and I don't say that as a negative. <laughs> uh, I just don't think he's a very interesting person. And that's okay. There's a lot of boring people in the world. You know, Bob at the office who sits in the cubicle down from you, you probably don't know anything about him because he's just a boring guy. Come on, but maybe Bob. he's really, really good at his job, too. He's the best accountant ever. Mike Trout is one of the best baseball players we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but I think he just – maybe he's not. Maybe he's just quiet. Maybe he's, he's just shy. And all of those would be fine. I just think it's really intriguing that – we know nothing about him. In an age where TMZ knows if you're dead before you do, uh, it, it's really intriguing. We know almost nothing about a guy who should be the biggest star in the game. Well, how much, is that, how much of that is West Coast? Because he's got a guy across town. Uh, I mean, Clayton Kershaw is arguably in the conversation yeah. of greatest pitcher, at least of his, the last 40 years. Yeah. And you don't know Ooh. anything about him either. You know, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if uh, I know it, more about the, Clayton than I do about Mike, but um, not as. But still, to to the to your point, it's it, yeah. He, would he would he they will. be bigger if he was if Mike Trout played in Philadelphia somewhere on the East Coast, Philadelphia, the Mets, Chicago, even? How big of a star is Mike Trout? How much do they parade him out as a? You know, is he yeah. playing on prime time? Because you know, West Coast yeah. watching West Coast baseball. Yeah, that, that, that's a point. But I think you could take that. A step further and say, you know, Bryce Harper, uh, as great as he is, uh, and de- the opposite of boring, we don't know a lot about him. I mean, it, it, if I went to most people, the, the thing that surprised me is I don't think most people realize Bryce Harper is woman, which I think is a defining feature of him. Um, you know, it, it, it's certainly informed his, his boyhood uh, and a lot of his choices now. And mm-hmm. I, I think you know, religion isn't a big part of baseball, but if you talk about that contract, why did he put down such a, a, an emphasis on long rather than big dollars? Cause he could have gotten more money in other places. He had bigger average annual value offers. Um, but he wanted the longest offer because he wanted a stable family life because he wants to have, you know, a bucket load of kids. Okay. Him and Philip Rivers can, uh, you know, uh, have have some tips there. But um, I, I think that was actually important to how we view his career, and not a lot of people know it. In Chicago, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, uh, two personality, <clears throat> excuse me, personality plus guys, who again we don't know a lot about them. Um, yeah, baseball does a terrible job marketing, so I think that's part of it. But I, I think Mike Trout is the most actually the least interesting guy uh, that doesn't have the Jeter effect. I I think if we look back, Derek Jeter was the one that threw us off because Derek Jeter might be the most boring human being known to man. (laughs) I don't think he's ever said anything interesting. But But yet there was that period there where he was dating a bunch of women. That's, there you go. Hollywood stars. You know, Dan, I know you and I have talked about your dating life before, and, and I'm not knocking <laughs> here, but if, if we went back to 10 women 
could we find none of them to even give us a fact, let alone, you know, if you broke up with 10 Hollywood starlets, one of them is going to say something bad about you. How, what, what's in that gift basket besides uh, uh, an NDA that uh, got him to go that long without any sort of negativity? That's the one that stuns me still to this day. I don't know well, how got away with that. Rumor has it is uh, he's close with Will, Will Smith and they had one working prototype from the Men in Black movies of the, the memory eraser. <laughs> that's gotta be it. <laughs> that's, but you hear this. I mean, you hear that because you know everyone in baseball is connected by you know it's so it, everyone's played with someone, and everyone has played with someone who's played with Derek Jeter at least back when me and Bobby were still playing. There were guys who went up, came in the minor leagues with them, and they all say the same thing that Derek Jeter he kept his personal life extremely personal. He was extremely smart about going out and doing things. He did often date like the most attractive woman in any town. Like, you know, one of my friends played for the, he was in the Yankee system and he said, you know, at Binghamton, uh, that was their double A. No, that's the, that's the Binghamton Mets. Um, Trenton. Maybe, maybe they were playing against them. I don't know. But I, I think, I think it was Binghamton. He's like, you know, there was this beautiful um, uh, bartender at one of the places there in town and like Derek dated her, but no one would ever know of it. And no one would ever talk ill of him because he seemed to treat people well. He ran with this crew of people that, you know, he had his handlers and like everything. If you're going to hang out with Derek or if a woman was going to, you know, meet up with Derek, it was just like very under wraps. And I mean, it seems like he just did things the right way. And mm. I don't know, but he, he kept things, he kept things quiet in a really big city. And, you know, as the captain of the Yankees, yeah. which is impo like an impossible task. Yeah. I did an interview with, gosh, I'm trying to remember who it was, um, but it was a pitcher and he had been with the Yankees I think was back with Columbus. Gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on who it was. But he talked about when he first came up, the first person he saw was Derek Jeter, who walked him around, showed him where things were, introduced him to everybody from, you know, from Alex Rodriguez down to the clubbies. Um, and he was like, that stuck with me. It was like, here's what time you show up. Here's what time batting mm -hmm. practice is. Here's what time – uh, pitcher fielding practices, and he was like, Derek Jeter knew everything. And you wouldn't think of that kind of guy being a tour guide. But yeah, he evidently did it every time there was somebody new showing up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, especially today, and of course, back then was, I think, to every, probably to every major leaguer's luck was just less technology, less texting, less, you know, the social media. Your world can be amplified way faster now than yeah. than you know ten five even five years ago so but yeah i mean to your point and i i want to address my coughing earlier so everyone out there is watching if you're hearing me cough i've had a cough for over a month so if i if i had coronavirus i would have gone through it already or maybe i have but um i actually have a lot of allergies so i think i'm okay but yeah will's backing away <laughs> I'm, i've been trying to project it through my webcam to you um but no it's uh and which is a which is an interesting side note you can't cough in public like you can't and then you can't be like no no i'm okay i'm okay like don't st don't stone me which again it's this is a crazy scary thing that's happening but like i'm aware that i have to cough once in a while yeah. and do, do you think we like go back to like, shaking hands is he okay that's a great point and i don't know do like, you, you want to go back hands? i think it's an important gesture personally yeah, well, no. I, it, it's one of those things where I think we need something. 
you know, at the end of the game, do we do we still shake hands with people? I don't know. I, I want some sort of gesture, but you know, the actual act of shaking hands, I don't I have no connection to it. It's, I'm not gonna Eskimo it, kiss you, Will. No, gonna, I mean it's it's way too close. It's, it's, it, we're not there. Do yet. we do we do a Jose Canseco uh, Mark McGuire forearm bash. Is that more acceptable? Do we do a virtual high five? I, I don't think we go back to shaking hands. I think that's going to be one of the things 20 years from now that people look back and go, wow, you did that? You were one of those handshakers? Um, do you know what you touch with that? With your yeah. your greasy palms? Yeah. So, Bobby, what do you think? I don't, I don't think you go back to – I think maybe the one-on-one greeting we – Dan introduces us in person. I think – that your handshake that probably sticks, you know, is kind of just the historically it's always stuck, but I don't think I can't see, like I have a lot of youth teams. I can't see these, the 10 year olds, you know, slapping hands after the, after the game and their parents not losing their minds. Well, let's talk about that. Will, what's your opinion on the post game hand slap, you know, which is done after every game below pro baseball. How do you feel about that as an institution? I'm not a fan. I'll be honest with you. Um, you. I, I actually don't go out and do it. You know, you, the coaches would go out and I would just not. Um, I didn't like it when I played and would always try to find an excuse not to. Um, I just don't want to know the other team. Uh, I don't like when they talk before games. You know, uh, even in college baseball, I'm sure you have this, Bobby where kids have played on a different team with one of the players on the other team um, and, you know, or they work out at the same sort of place. I, I personally don't want to like the other team. Uh, <clears throat> it is not a friendly competition for me. And that probably makes yeah. me a bad person, but I've never been a fan of it. Where I do like it is how the NHL does it um, and how hockey in general does it. At the end of the series, uh, somebody won, somebody lost, and you say, good game, and you, you show some sportsmanship. I'm not saying don't shake hands and don't be friendly as bad sportsmanship. It's just for me, I needed to not like the other team. Yeah. Bob, where do you fall? I'm with him. I don't want to have anything to do with the other team. I don't have friends on the other team when we're playing. If I want to talk to somebody I'm friends with, I'll talk to them when we get off the field. You know, I don't need the, the, it feels more like the, uh, the force interaction for me is what I – if they told me I didn't have to do it, I would probably do it with a few guys on the other team. But the fact <clears> that I had have to, I don't want to. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, it's funny. So we have a mutual friend, Dave Harden. I met him for the first time my first All-Star year, and this is not a humble brag, but it was, it was the first time I was in a clubhouse with guys that from other teams. And I'm the same as you, Will, where I'm on the dugout rail and I'm like, Look at the way that guy has his pants. What a what a jerk! Like that guy. I look at the way. Like I I I hate the other team just like you do. Mm-hmm. And when I made that first team, uh, this guy Dave, who was one of the best pitchers in the league, who just has like a swagger about him. He's a confident. Like you know, every, like you need that as a player. Mm-hmm. I hate I hate that about him as a player. I'm like I'm better than you. Like every like, and so here I am in a clubhouse with him for the first time, and it's like he's a n- nice guy. It's like yeah. I, I felt weird. I'm like wait. These are all people just like my teammates. I could like mm-hmm. these guys. And it was strange because it was the same as you. you. You just don't – some people aren't like that. And, and for me personally, I think the gesture is meaningless. Yeah. Handshake, handshake you, after the game, kids don't want to do it. There's always one guy in the, the opposing dugout who's a little too chirpy, uh, mm-hmm. who's a little too loud. 
Yeah, it's and, Bob. And I was usually Bob. that guy. <laughs> it is me. And, 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 you know, you hate that guy, and then you realize, wait, I am that guy. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, you know, A.J. Pruszynski is the one that always comes to mind for me. Uh, as a catcher, he would just talk the whole game. And, and you know, he, he was a jerk uh, on and off the field. But when he was on your team, guys would hate him when, when they had to face him or hit with him behind the plate. But when he was on their team, oh, yeah, he's great. Great teammate, does everything right. Um, so it, it's, it's fine if he's our jerk. It's kind of like yeah. the way you know, Giants fans looked at Barry Bonds. He was, he was our jerk. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot Excuse of times – Coffee Russo, guys. Yeah, no problem. Bobby, do you find as a, as a college coach, do you find that – or a, a youth coach, do you find that the handshake is kind of driven by – parents like they find it more valuable than maybe like baseball lifers do i don't find it i, I don't find the fat like the the handshake feels like the coaches force it like they yeah. know you're yeah. supposed to do it it's like tradition it's like something you always do and until like be some an outcry if we got rid of it right i don't know if there'd be an outcry i think i think after the first team you know yeah. i think after my i think after my 12u team decides like this other team's a bunch of a-holes like we're not shaking their hands then that team's going to have an issue with it and all of a sudden it's going to be an issue but it it's doesn't be the first one yeah. i think if we just tried to say you know what my team doesn't shake hands you you'd take a hit you'd have a parent you'd have the parents on the other team oh you're too good to shake hands i think exactly. the whole corona thing might say okay i i don't have to do it now oh that'd be great it'd be so great my actually one of my teams um the warbird senators one of our coaches just made the decision himself. He's like, we're not going to shake hands. And we didn't have a problem with it because my team, his team was getting pretty chirpy. The other team was getting pretty chirpy. And he's like, look, we're not going to do this and like make this an issue as we go through this line, which, um, and so then he kind of just like stopped for that tournament kind of as like a policy. And he, so the other team would start walking out and my coach would be like, nah, nah, he would go out and like shake hands with the coaches only. And the other teams were, the parents were pissed. And it's like, look, and this was a guy who played, he played five, six, seven years in pro ball, and he's a really kind, like, good human being. He wasn't doing it any sort of malicious sense. He wasn't being um, a bad sport. He was just saying, like, look, this is a meaningless gesture. I've done it my whole life. The other team's chirping at us. We're chirping at them. This is not a great situation. It could only be a worse thing. It's not like we're suddenly becoming buddies. And like seeing them for, for the, the people that they are as we go through the handshake. Like, it's like, no, it's like, screw you, screw you. You know, it's like just slapping hands, <laughs> spitting on your hand. It's like, that's not good for anybody. That's not sportsmanship. And that's, that's why I, I'm with all of you guys. It's just like, we should just do away with it because it's just like, if it's meaningless, just, just, get, yeah. just get rid of it. I don't know. There's a lot of baseball traditions I would love to get rid of. All right, let's go into that. Give me, give me another one. <laughs> oh. I love uh, this topic. I love this topic. Way we do batting practice. This is. this is why do we do batting practice the way we do batting practice? Because that's the way we've always done it. It, it all goes back to, for me, Paul De Podesta gave that famous talk to Goldman Sachs in 2000, I want to say 2001, might have been 2000, where he said, if we didn't always do it this way, how would we do it? And I think we have to ask that of everything. You know, why do we do this? Why do we throw bullpens the way we throw bullpens? Uh, why do we warm up the way we warm up? Um, we found, uh, we, I, I guess we've noticed 
Um, at MODIS, one of the things that they found was that warm-ups were taking almost 50% of a pitcher's energy because of the, the way they were doing it. They would start off with the big weighted balls, uh, and then you would throw really fast. They don't do it at game pace. So if you just do it at game pace where there's 15, 20 seconds between pitches, it completely changes how you do it. And, and it's tough because you've done it this way forever. Um, you have to get the catchers to kind of enforce the timing. Uh, yeah. And even then, the, the pitchers really throws them off. Um, it's, it's amazing how much things have changed. Now, 10 years ago, plyo balls and connection drills just didn't exist uh, and now they're universal. So that I think is, is shows that we can change. Uh, so I think we have to take a harder look at a lot of things around baseball. Uh, let's start with a handshake and then, then, then we'll change how, how we, we do batting practice groupings. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think pitchers need that hour and a half to gossip in the outfield. I mean, yeah, clear. we need that. We need that time to stand there idle and catch all the fly balls that Bobby can't hit out of the, ball, out of the ballpark. Now, if you, you Bobby, what? if you had more power, I could just stand there and not to collect everything that you hit. But, I, you know, you're a warning track power guy, so I'm going to have to chase them all down. All right? I, would prefer, I would prefer that only the pitchers were out there shagging the balls, and I would, after my round, I could just go sit down in the, in the, on the bench and watch you and ridicule you guys for being <laughs> the non-athletes that you are. So I just – I agree. There's changes that need to be made. Pitchers should be the only one shagging. And that's, that's just how it has to be. We're changing baseball right now. Well, so, Will, I know some teams have been doing it. I know Gabe Kapler, um, who got mixed reviews in Philadelphia, I think in part it sounds like because he pushed some of this stuff too hard. Um, he pushed a lot of change on guys, a lot of fast or really fast. But I know they were using, you know, pitching machine and BP. So if you were to rethink it, how would it look to you? Ideally, I would do what Toronto did and hire basically pitching imitators. Um, you know, rather than having the coach throw it, exactly. Um, you know, get, get a guy, guys. get some righties out there, get some lefties out there, give guys who can give different looks, different arm angles, but throw at game speeds and throw from the mound. Why are we throwing from close? Because Tommy Lasorda couldn't throw it that hard when he was in his 60s and 70s. Um, you know, if you look back at the game in the 60s and 70s, and, and it was a different game then, but they did throw batting practice from the front of the mound. And now we're 10 feet away, it seems like. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I think it would look more like the game. The closer you can get to the specific activity you're doing, the better off it's going to be. If you're facing a lefty, you should be facing uh, a lefty uh, in, in batting practice, that, that's not always accessible, um, especially at lower levels. But I think you know, we have to kind of take some lessons from it. I'm not sure a pitching machine is going to work because, A, it's not going to be accessible for lower levels. And one of the things I always think about is what can you do at the major league level? What can you do at, you know, a, a rural city, you know, if you're in Podunk, Indiana, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they probably don't have a, a big little league budget. And then I also think about what happens in the inner city, because we've got to think about making sure that the, the kids who live downtown and don't have a lot of green space can do the same things. Um, you don't want baseball to turn into a rich suburban travel sport. 
which is really almost what it is at this stage. Um, yeah. So those kind of things. I think just getting as close as humanly possible to what you're wanting to do uh, is going to be better. Uh, I honestly think there's ways to organize things so that the, the pitchers are throwing batting practice uh, is, is better than what we have now. Bobby. I think he, I think he hit it on the head is, is getting it to as similar to the game uh, as possible. And that's, pro- that's probably the biggest problem with baseball is how difficult it is to replicate somebody throwing hard from the same distance and being accurate with it. You know, I, I help out with a professional team up in Chicago an independent team and I throw a lot of the batting practice and I will try and hum it in there and throw it harder uh, from a, from a decent distance, 45 feet. But I mean, at some point after 200 throws, it's like I'm losing, I'm fatiguing and I'm, I'm losing some accuracy. And at that point, if it takes me 15 pitches to get them five good swings, well, who's helping who at this point, they're, they're just swinging to get, to get out of the cage and make me look a little bit better. And I'm struggling to, to make it worth it. It's just the, the nature of the sport is so much mm-hmm. different than, you know, physically different than maybe warming up for basketball where the, the manager can come out and basically give you a, a stand in front of you like a defensive player or stick his hands up. It's you just so the, much different. You get the different. mop handle. You get the, um, yeah, you get the broom and you rub it in her face and see, see what you – see how if you can affect their shot. Whereas there's a guy that needs some actual physical tools to – to give you a better look. You can't just throw out the, you know, there's a lot of coaches that can't throw batting practice. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that can't do those things. And this is where, yeah. And this is where I watched the, uh, the old blade runner the other day. I think this is a bona fide. Huh? Which cut? Uh, I don't know, but it was the old one. Are there are multiple cuts. Am I yeah, missing? Yeah. There's like four different cuts. The Netflix cut, <laughs> whatever that, whatever that that's is. The, okay, that's the director's cut, but it's not the final cut. So okay. good, but not perfect. Well, so I actually listened to the audiobook, um, Do Electric Sheep Dream of, yeah. or Have Android? Do Android Sheep Have Electric Dream? What's the title? Do I can't remember. Sheep. Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep. That's right. I really enjoyed that. There's a lot of deeper, I mean, every book is deeper than yeah. the movie, right? But that whole weird thread of like, how important it, and, and how deeply everyone to own an animal just to sort of like feel connected to the world. And just like, there's a lot of other stuff. I, I, was, I thought it was a really good read slash listen, but replicants, I mean, engineered Android labor to just throw, I mean, fuel. I mean, come on, you yeah. get men, women to be integrating baseball. I mean, that chicken blade runner that he had to kill, she could probably throw fuel. He was a specimen. Oh, absolutely. Right? Just engineer them. It'd be great. It'd be great for everyone. So you're watching, you're watching director's cut Blade Runner, but you won't watch Tiger King. Yeah, absolutely. No, because I'm a sane person. Absolutely. On. Will, you haven't I, seen it? Yeah, I'm against Tiger King. You know, A, I have a theory about why these shows are popular. It's because we all feel like we're really screwed up and we want to see people more screwed up than us. And those people clearly are. We want to feel superior to them. And that's why reality TV is so big. That's why you know, Team Mom was so big. And, and my concern is always, you know, I'm an animal guy. And, and you know, the animals kind of get short shrift. 
and they're stuck in a cage. And there's a guy down in Southern Indiana who is evidently a big part of this. Uh, who, why do you have to own a tiger? Why? why? And, and, and evidently, they don't cost that much, which kind of surprised me. Um, <laughs> this, you could have taken the tigers out of this and just watched the people, and you would have loved it. But if I, if I took the tigers out of this and, and just made it, you know, redneck king, would you have felt as good <laughs> meth, about meth, it? Meth king. <laughs> yes, meth king. I would have. Yeah. Yes, I would have. It's, it was very entertaining. It was at, at this, at this juncture of life where I, where the four walls are starting to cave in quite entertaining. <laughs> See, I, I'm so prepared for this because I've been working from home for 20 years now. Uh, this <laughs> welcome to my world. This is what I do. Uh, so, you know, I think all sports writers are doing okay with this except, you know, missing going to the park. Well, we'll uh, elaborate on that. So for people who this whole thing is new and they might be going insane, can you offer any advice as a lifetime work from Homer? Yeah. Um, first, you don't have to get into a routine, but make sure that there's a difference between work and home. That's the toughest part for a lot of people is if you're just doing all your work from the office, going out to a different room. When I, this is my office in my house. Uh, you've been over to the house, Dan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is kind of an enclosed space. It's not, you know, particularly inviting. I got my coffee behind me. I've got my computer here. Uh, everything I need to work, booze is over there. So everything I need to work is here. Um, but when I leave this room and go out to watch TV or sit on the patio or do anything, that's apart from work. It's, there's office and there's home. And differentiating those is really difficult. I, I think especially for a sports writer, you're not working a nine to five. You can't just shut it off, but you have to be able to differentiate work and home. And and I think that's difficult for a lot of people. You've got to exercise. uh, You've got to be able to to be a little bit physical, whether that's just getting out for a walk uh, and maintaining your social distance. uh, Or I I think we're going to head to masks here pretty quick. Um, It'll be interesting to see. What's that? Yeah, that sounds great, except... I can't, like, where are you going to buy a mask? I can't buy literally anything yeah, that's, that's to clean anything. Be the problem is like, we're gonna, sound, sounds nice. I like the good hand sanitizer. for most of them. Um, yeah. I actually have some. I, 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 was, I was a little bit ahead of the curve and said, you know, this is coming. So I, I bought one uh, actually <laughs> from Training Mask. I have a friend that works there. and was hmm. able to get a couple. Uh, so, so they actually have some, but they're not cheap. Um, endorsement for them. Um, yeah. But I think the biggest thing you have to do is get that defined space uh, if you possibly can. Um, you know, it, it's, it's as simple as sometimes putting on work clothes, um, you know, shower in the morning. Don't just work in your slobby sweats that you would wear around the house to watch Tiger King. Uh, you know, actually kind of find a way to delineate work and life is my biggest one. Okay. I think that's good advice. Bob, have you found anything that's helping you get through this mentally? Absolutely not. No. Bob's I'm just, just sitting here. Just as out. A, yeah. I'm active. I mean, you're probably the same way. Like you get up and you go to WeWork or you go work at a coffee shop or something like that. Not anymore. I, no, God, not. no. I'm not, you think I'd go to, I'm a big coffee shop guy. That's where I did all my work for all these years. Loved it. I, I just like being around people even though I don't want to talk to them. And I have been, I have a WeWork membership and I, I love it. 
And I was going to one location all, all up until this week because the mayor here shut it down, so I'm not going against it. But the WeWork location I went to, I was literally one or two people on like a 40,000, 50,000 foot floor. So it's like I'm working in an empty gymnasium. There's no, like, there's no risk in that. I wouldn't go WeWork to WeWork is going to be the next Tiger King. I'm convinced of it. They're going to go under. They have to go under. They're, I mean, especially with no the doubt. news today or yeah. recently with Adam Newman's shares not being bought back. Like, there's yeah, some, the I mean, story behind that. Haven't they already started crazy. that? That one no. is going to be cool. Who plays Newman? Um, life. They need it. You know who? Well, in the in size wise, I immediately think of uh, Egon um, from Ghostbusters. But what's his name? I'm drawing a blank. I just listened to a uh, Joe Rogan podcast with Dan Aykroyd, so I've been in like a Ghostbusters mode. But yeah, that's a crazy story. But anyway, um, it's I'm not really getting out anymore. So no, but the uh, the whole like you're you're similar to m- myself. Like if I'm up and I need something to do or I need to do oh, something, you just don't want to be at home. I'm just not going to be at home. I'm going to go do it at yeah, a coffee yeah. shop, or I'm going to go do it at. Uh, my facility or wherever, you know, I'm going to be out of the house. Like I'm up and out of the house for more than I'm in the house. Use most days so that to be here all the time. And um, it's just like my wife works from home and she's having that same issue. Will's talking about where you don't have, like, well, she used to be around you now, which is probably it's tough a, for her. It's we're really testing the limits <laughs> of marriage. I'll tell you what, but she doesn't have a designated where we don't have an office at our, and we yeah. live in a two bedroom condo. Like I'm in the spare bedroom right now. Um, we have a desk kind of in the living area, the living room, but she, you know, everything's basically mushed, you know, mushed together yeah. for her. So yeah. it's it's getting difficult. It's, Even something as simple as a chair. Yeah. You know, when right. I'm in this chair, I'm at work when I'm not, you know, and then just push that chair away or here is my work outfit. Uh, yeah. Here's a work hat. Uh, I've work. seen some people that do that. Uh, when the work hat is on. Uh, it's one thing. It was Carol Grimms. I had to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Remember when we used to just have to think about things and wonder and miss it, and now you know we've got the whole internet in our pocket. Yeah, Alexa, um, who is it? I, yeah, I could have yelled at her. She's she's listening to this. I'm going to get yeah. advertisement for Ghostbusters after this. No doubt, so, Ghostbusters T-shirts are going to flow through my well, phone. The, the Ghostbusters sequel is delayed a year. We're going to have this giant entertainment. Hole. Somebody had a good line uh, saying, "With all the the movies being delayed, you know, all the way out in October and November, uh, Bad Boys for Life is." Uh, the leading Oscar contender right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Will, how did you feel about the new uh, Blade Runner remake? Because they have a sequel coming out in another year. How did you? How did you like the the remake? A sequel to another Blade Runner sequel? I, I'm pretty sure there's another Blade Runner coming. Yeah. Huh. Uh, I thought Dennis Villeneuve did a great job. I, I was really hesitant that it wasn't you know, most of the originals, and certainly wasn't Ridley Scott again, which worried me, especially since he's alive. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought they did well. I thought the casting was good. I thought the way they handled things was great. Um, basically, it was, it was really, really good. I mean, Villeneuve did Arrival, which is phenomenal. And he's doing Dune, which I don't think is doable. Um, mm. But he did really well with uh, 2049. So Yeah, I I'll liked it a lot. See where it goes. And it was a unique movie. Bob, did you see it? I did not. It was unique. Did you see it in the theaters, Will? Uh, yeah, I actually saw it in IMAX. Yeah, I did too. It's gotten to the point where if it takes a fairly big movie to get me to go because the home experience for me is so much better. 
I've got a surround sound set up. I got a big screen. Uh, it's 4K. There's nobody, you know, throwing popcorn at me. I don't have to pay 12 bucks for a soda. <laughs> it, it, you really got to get out to a movie to have that experience. I just don't enjoy the movie experience unless it's a movie. Blade Runner was one. Ford versus Ferrari was one that I knew I had to go see at the IMAX. If I don't know the IMAX, I'm probably not watching it. Or yeah. not watching it until I get home. Yeah, and the Blade Runner was, it was really unique because they didn't really have what you'd call like a soundtrack. They just had lots of like, it was just like, wham, as he's like driving in his spaceship. And then it was just very sort of loud, noisy kind of soundtrack, which was being in the theater, like you could feel like the bass of just the sort of like ambient, like tonal kind of music that they had in, in Blade Runner 2049. So I thought that was like, being immersed in the sounds of the movie was really important to the overall movie experience. And when I left the theater, I was kind of like, I don't feel like this would be nearly as sort of impactful watching this at home. So, but yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was well done. You, you I'm need looking forward to the, to the sequence. So, well, I'm here in DC in a studio apartment right now. So, so we're going to get there. Oh, Everything geez. is surround sound when you're in a studio. Will. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the, to the drive-in coming back. Social distancing. You're right. Stay in your car. Don't look at me. Don't Free, notice the bottle of alcohol. Food, deli- food delivery. Food delivery. Yeah. I think, you know, you're on to something here. I know a lot of people talk about this with the social distancing. But, yeah, I've got a pretty good surround sound setup. It's not, you know, world class or anything. But my car has a really good sound system. And you know where you're sitting, so you don't have to deal with a room correction or anything else. It doesn't get all echoey. If you could figure out how to use my car's sound system for a drive-in, I would be in. If we go back to that, you know, speaker that you hooked on your window that was, you know, <laughs> wasn't even my As a kid, I remember going to one, and it was basically like going to a silent movie. Uh, <laughs> you, you couldn't hear the dialogue, and it was probably like Star Wars that I was seeing for the 20th time or something. When's the um, last time you went to a drive-in, Will? Because I think they have that. I'm pretty sure... When I went to one as a kid, we did that. We tuned into like an AM radio station and it's been for a car. Yeah. yeah, I I would have been a kid. So it's, you know, the early 1930s. Yeah, they have that technology. So stay tuned. As long as they're not, I mean, there's like none probably, left. You know, it was probably AM, kind of like the, the same thing you did with Mr. Microphone, if you remember that. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a lot of technology has changed. So, so, Will, you worked for Modus for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the company was sold. What are some of the things you took away from your time? And, you know, one thing I want to really talk about is the, you guys used an opener at mm-hmm. UIndy this year. And I think that was in part by, I mean, a lot of sensible data and not just the modus arm sleeve stuff, but also the fact that getting through when a pitcher faces the lineup for the third time, especially the fourth time, their, uh, you know, OPS goes up a ton. Woba goes up a ton. So you basically don't want your pitchers to face a lineup a third time if you can help it. Yeah. Definitely not a fourth time unless they're dominating. So talk a little bit about your opener experience. Yeah, the opener experience was mixed. Um, we were successful. It was less successful, but I think we were figuring it out. Um, you know, in, in a way, the opener wasn't to get any sort of lineup advantage. And I don't think coaches – reacted to it uh we we had two lefties uh can you, can you were, back up and explain yeah. uh what you mean by opener for those who don't know 
Yeah, uh, we used a, a pitcher uh, to essentially pitch the first inning only. Um, and, and then the so-called starter would come in in the second inning. So it changed the warm-ups a little bit. Um, the, the tough part for us is that um, we didn't have the greatest success uh, with that first inning. And we also had some resistance to not having the ball. Pitcher would come in and be down 2 nothing, um, and complain about it. And even the position players were a little bit perturbed by it. Um, we adjusted. I think it, it was starting to work. What we really saw success in was that it was getting our guys deeper into the game without fatiguing them. I don't think we ever went over 110 pitches, and that was one where we got a little bit greedy and he got knocked around in that last inning. Um, he was pitching so well, though. Uh, Michael Witte, he's, he's going to be great. <laughs> if we'd finished this season, he would have been drafted. Little lefty, just has great stuff, gets up to about 90. If he was two inches taller, he'd be a, a, a top 10 round pick. Um, so what the opener does is gets that guy deeper into the game. I thought it was going to change uh, you know, lineups, and it, and it really didn't. One of the things I did was I created a model in Amazon Web Services that basically ran the game uh, 10,000 times and tried to figure out how to model out exactly which pitcher would be best for which situation. And the rule was you could never get above a 1.2 workload, um, which I'll have to explain ACR. Uh, ACR is a workload between your acute which is nine days in a chronic, which is 28 days. And you want those ratios in balance. Uh, the easiest way to think about it is you don't train for a marathon by running 26 miles. You build up to it. Uh, you, you get the capability of it. Um, and you often hear elite runners talking about how they could have run another 10 miles. They probably could have, uh, yeah. even the paces they run because they've built that kind of stamina in order to you know, maximize for that activity. You want to do the same thing for baseball. So, one of the things that we didn't get to do that I think was going to be a more valuable part of it was we were going to limit the workload of the starter by taking an inning away, uh, putting our best pitcher out there for five or six innings, and then closing out. You can find we, we had 30 pitchers, so it was going to be fairly easy for us to find bullpen arms that were pretty solid. Um, but in the midweek games, we were going to use what would normally be bullpen time uh, and use one of our, our weekend guys for two to three innings. And by the end of the season, they were going to have uh, about 12 more appearances than they were used to with only about six more innings uh, than they were uh, used to going if they were, you know, seven, eight inning normal starters. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's where we were really going to see a big jump. And unfortunately, we never got to that part of the season where we had yeah. you know, midweek games. So with acute to chronic uh, ratio, so that's kind of like over a 28-day span, if you threw 100 pitches every day, that would be sort of like your number. And then in yeah. a nine-day span, if you, you'd want to throw no more than 120 pitches over that span, that would be 1.2 times your normal exactly. workload. Am I interpreting that correctly? So, you're, you're exactly right. Okay. So if you're at home, it, it can definitely be a confusing thing at times to – Overall, it, it makes a ton of sense. And just like you said with the running analogy, whatever you're used to doing, you can go about 20% above it. And we don't really want you to spike any higher than that because then 
what essentially happens? Well, I mean, you kind of, not only do you have a bigger spike in fatigue that day, like you went a lot longer than you're used to, but then also your body has to then recover from that because you're more depleted exactly. than normal. Exactly. And that, that part hasn't been studied. And that's the part that, that's really intriguing to me. To, to me, recovery is the part of uh, pitching that we haven't maximized yet. And there's a lot of theories uh, that we can test. One study was done by Samir Mehta, now with the Orlando Magic. He was with, I want to say it was St. John's in Washington, D.C., a uh, baseball program there that won multiple state titles. Very good program, yep. again this year. Um, they tracked every pitch for three years, and the injury risk was 26 times greater if you were above a 1.2 workload. We, I, I think they may have used 1.3 as the number. I forget exactly. Uh, where it was, but uh, again, it was Dr. Samir Mehta who did the, the study. It's available out there. I think it's still on the Moda site. Uh, absolutely well-constructed study. Uh, I don't think there's any question. There's a lot of uh, controversy around uh, ACR in the academic community, but like you said, Dan, I think it's something that just makes good. Yeah, there, there's some things when somebody tells you, you know, some crazy academic idea, you go, does this work? That one, I think we all get it because yeah. it's, it's common sense at, at some level. You start putting the numbers and, and the things to it. Um, but I, I do think that uh, there, there's definitely something to it, whether you're technologically measuring it or, or even just rough measuring it and trying to keep workloads down, which I think is we've got to figure out how to do that at, at the lower levels. We're seeing far too many youth arm injuries. Yeah. And I, I kind of had the same sentiment when I heard about the Q to chronic ratio because, you know, on the Moda site, they were talking about, Hey, you know, this is from research we've done. I'm like, well, where's the research? Like I haven't really like seen it. Like I haven't heard much about it. Like who did it? Um, and there wasn't a lot of info on that. And I, that's like, okay. But then like you said, it sort of passes the common sense test where it's like, if we're trying to track and have our pitchers do anything, yeah, we want them to throw a consistent amount of pitches over a long period of time and not have huge spikes or, or, or less rest than normal. So yeah, I think it, I don't think there's probably any downside to doing that. I think probably in your, I'm sure in the same boat that like, is the 1.2, the exact number is a 1.1 is 1.35. Like what is that true exact number? Is it, you know, and, and that can maybe be up for a discussion down the road, but. Yeah. The only thing I think is, is questionable at this stage is whether or not that number is individualized. Yeah. And I do think there's some variation in there, but I actually think, some arms are able to train up more. I did an article in 2000, I want to say 2005, at Baseball Prospectus talking about how, how do we explain uh, why some pitchers can go out there and throw all day. Uh, the one I always get is, you know, how could Nolan Ryan throw 270 pitches the way he did? He was a and replicant. kids today can't do it. What's that? He was a replicant, I think. No, he wasn't. He was very normal, and he had a damaged elbow for most of his career. Uh, in, in 1986, Jim Andrews told him he needed Tommy John surgery, and, and he said, no, no, it's too experimental. It hadn't been – get this. Okay, Tommy John surgery was done in 1974 on, oddly enough, Tommy John. Um, in 1986, they hadn't had 10 operations yet. That's crazy. Yeah, the second one, and this is a great trivia question for everybody, the second Tommy John surgery in baseball, the third overall, uh, was done in 1978. So it went four years. And Tommy John was back and successful. Are you telling me there wasn't a guy out there who didn't damage their arm? 
the great answer to this one is Houston Astros pitching coach Brett Strom was the second Tommy John. Yeah. And, and Frank Job, uh, who unfortunately has passed, used to say, if I had just thought of this 10 years earlier, we'd call it Sandy Koufax surgery. Yeah, that, I've yeah. heard that one. That's uh, it's It really is crazy. And plus when you – I don't know, Tommy John's recovery was a lot different than it looks today. Like he was in – how long was he in a cast? Wasn't it like – Six weeks. Six weeks? That's a long Six, time. Yeah, uh, and he had a major complication. Uh, he had ulnar nerve compression, so they had to go in and do a transposition, which – some surgeons do automatically today. Uh, if you ever get two orthopedic surgeons in the same room, just do transpose or not and, and mm-hmm. walk away for an hour. They'll still be talking about it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, his, his was 18 months uh, recovery, not because he needed 18 months, but because he had a fairly major setback about three months into it. And, and yeah, he had two surgeries, which is not something we see uh, happened too often. Uh, it, the, the rehab was done terribly. Um, you know, it was oddly enough, the, the rehab was essentially done, uh, not by, by one of the, uh, athletic trainers or anybody at Curlin Job. It was done by Mike Marshall, who was hmm. more or less experimenting on, on uh, poor Tommy. Um, so it, it, it's fairly interesting to go back at it. And yet we still use that 18 month timeline as one of the baselines for no good reason. Uh, Tommy John guys can come back much, much faster than they do. Well, and so I saw you tweeting about that recently. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Cause you basically said, we don't know how fast guys could come back yeah. and we kind of have to be willing to crack some eggs to figure that out. Because if we, yes. if we're going to push it, more guys are, are going to fail their rehab. Yeah. We've, we've had a number of guys that have come back under a year. Uh, actually the record is Ken Daly, who was in the 80s, came back almost in season. Uh, he had it at the end of, I want to say, the 86 season and was back in 87 pitching very, very well. Um, I would love to track him down. I've been trying to uh, – he came back in seven months. And, and we've seen pitchers recently come back in nine and ten, but you do see more failures. Um, there's not a great record of youth numbers, but we've had guys coming back uh, much, much quicker, largely because, you know, you'll get a guy who's a high school senior. And if he doesn't pitch in March, he's not going to pitch. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. So you see guys that will push to come back and they're, you know, maybe they're out a month. We've seen eight months, nine months uh, with internal brace. We've seen some ridiculous numbers. I'm not allowed to share here, but you know, much, much lower. Uh, talking weeks, not months. And how are you um, defining comeback? Because I feel like that's a really important term. And pitch at the something... same level. Okay. So yeah, success. The... I, I don't sit there and say, you know, same ERA or anything. But if you were a major league pitcher, you're now back pitching in major league games. And that's another thing that throws off the timing. Uh, if you're ready to pitch in January, doesn't matter. No games in January. Yeah. Uh, we don't count it until April, even if you're pitching in spring training. If you take a look back at Matt Harvey, who was held out, he could have pitched, uh, you know, in August or September, but he didn't pitch until, you know, uh, you know, the next April because it was a decision between the team and his agent. And yet people are saying, well, you know, he came back in 18 months. No, he came back in 12, but 
you chose another six months and now you're going to call that the normal timing. Uh, it, it's a little bit nuts. So guys could come back a little bit further. Again, yeah. you, you would, you would be risking a higher failure rate. And that's the thing about Tommy John surgery. That's it's Achilles heel. <laughs> it's really, really successful. You're talking about, you know, I, the real rate is something like, I want to say 76% was the last one I saw. And most of those are not surgical failures, but the vast majority is a high school kid who decides, you know what, I don't want to do a year of rehab. So he just doesn't come back. Yeah. Um, it, it, or you'll, you'll see the same thing. Guys will realize I wasn't going to make it anyway, so I'm not going to go back and ride the buses in low A. And they walk away. Well, and do you remember but, the number? Because Sorry, jump, go Bob. No, I'm just taking it all in. Well, and the, uh, yeah, Will, Will and I could, we could go on about this forever, but one of the things in the ASMI injuries in baseball course that they talked about, which is really interesting and a lot of people don't think about, is the statistical return to form, which, yeah, like you said, if, you, if you're a big leaguer, like say you're an established big leaguer, you're probably going to get a chance back in the big leagues. Like you're going to get a chance to suck, right, or succeed. And a lot of those guys, however, come back and they suck and they fade off and you like never realize that like they just didn't come back essentially. So when they start talking about, you know, success rate as returning to the previous level, well, if it's high school, your high school team's probably going to let you come back and throw a pitch. If it's yeah. college, you're going to be probably let back and throw a pitch unless you just like really have essentially failed to return to form. So those are almost like guaranteed as long as you wait out the timeline, which you said it could be off, you'll get a chance. Now in minor league ball or independent ball, much more up to like, will someone sign you? Like that was my case. My second Tommy John is someone going to sign me again and let me be on the field. And then the other thing is, and I don't know if you remember the statistic cause I don't, but I think it's somewhere like 40% of guys actually return to the same level of statistical ERA um, consistency. They have, so if you're a 4.0 pitcher in the big leagues before Tommy John, do you come back and you're a 4.0 or better pitcher? when you return. Do you remember the number of that? I don't. It's, uh, low. it's know, much lower, much lower though. That, which would surprise me a little bit, unless you're talking about a very large sample size at the major league level, pitchers basically come back. Um, you know, at this point with Tommy John surgery, no matter which surgeon, no matter which technique, we're seeing guys come back. Um, they don't come back better. They don't throw harder. All those myths uh, still aren't true, but they do come back as they were. Mm -hmm. um, I actually had a long debate with a, a major league GM about what if we had a guy who didn't have an elbow problem and we just put him on a Tommy John rehab, take a guy who probably wasn't going to make it and just sit him out for a year and have him not pitching, but working out, doing all the drills, doing all the things you need to do. And would he come back differently? And, and nobody's done it yet. But I think there might be something there to completely retooling a guy. Um, we did see a team, uh, the Rangers, who took their, their draftees and deloaded them. Uh, and mm -hmm. basically said, uh, after your high school season, after your college season, you're just not going to throw and we're going to bring you back the next year. Problem is, the, the three main guys they, they had, uh, two of the three ended up with fairly major arm injuries. And, and was that the cause? Don't know. Uh, but <laughs> certainly that was uh, a variable they didn't like seeing the results from. So I, they're not doing it again, as far as I'm aware. Uh, we'll have to see. So that, with that variable of, of time off, um, I know more and more people are saying, hey, maybe it's not a great 
thing to do to yeah. like not throw a ball for three or four months in a row and then start again. Where do you fall on that issue? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. For years, especially Jim Andrews and uh, Glenn Fleissig and the guys at ASMI were saying, you have to take some time off. I think uh, Jim would regularly say, take three months off. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we have to remember what off is. You know, uh, if, if you went and played football in the fall, you're probably not going out and long tossing after football practice. Um, if you're playing basketball or wrestling or doing whatever sport you want to do in the winter, uh, that's what rest used to be, is everybody was a multi-sport athlete uh, and not the case these days. Um, it, it turns out, no, it, you know, you might be onto something to throw year round in a controlled fashion. If you're not overworking yourself, ramping down and then ramping back up is pretty difficult. Um, I'm certainly no athlete, uh, but just, uh, I did a lot of tracking my data on my Peloton and I had a small injury. I had a, a strained hamstring. Had to take a couple of weeks off. Just a couple of weeks absolutely changed my data. Uh, yeah. You get back on, you're not from zero, but man, you're at a much lower point. And, and yeah, I could actually show you the, the graphs on data. Uh, my power, my stamina, everything was down. And it didn't take two weeks to get back. It took like eight. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've got to figure that out. Uh, you know, ACR works for everything. It's kind of kind of amazing in that way, but uh, the the stuff you have to look at is making sure if you're going to ramp down, you have to ramp up, and it takes a long time. Which to to bring it full circle, what's going to happen when Major League Baseball comes back? Yeah, uh, I heard one hitter, I can't remember who it was, say, "I don't need a big spring training. Give me ten at bats, and I'm ready to go." Well, yeah, you are, but the pitchers aren't. I'm sure you want ten at bats because the pitchers would be trash. Yeah. Well, the hitters say that, but they always struggle to hit velocity in spring training. I mean, pitchers always feel, we feel real good about ourselves in spring training because like, man, that's just blown by that dude. It's like 91. You're like, all sense of security. Um, But no, you're right. So what, what would you suggest major league baseball do? If you, if you're the commissioner and you could control what every pitcher did, what would you have them do? It's a, it's a tough question. The question really isn't what, I, what dudes with spring training. It's what are they doing now? Yeah. Are these guys actually being able to get enough work to keep their, their, their workload up? You know, they've obviously ramped down some. You know, what, what have we seen from these guys? Uh, you know, Garrett Cole throwing with his wife? Uh, you know, uh, it's it's <laughs> not exactly a normal workout. So if they've been able to keep their ratios up, then they don't have to have as long a time. I, I think you have to go a month. And then the teams are going to have to get really, really smart about, A, ramping those guys up in a shortened period of time, but second, not extending them. I think we're going to see the ramp up carry into the season. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say we need an eight. If you wanted to be super safe, you would say everybody starts back at zero and you ramp them up uh, in eight to ten weeks. I don't think that's feasible. So what yeah. I think we, we're going to need to see is, you know, two or three starts for pitchers, uh, you know, where they're going three, four, five innings, and then not have them go six and seven until they've built up those first couple starts. Alternatively, here's a great chance to experiment. Get a tandem uh, going. Uh, figure out how to do a modified four-man. 
use an opener, uh, figure yeah. out how to, you know, uh, talk to one assistant GM the other day said, you know, we don't think we can do a lot. So we're, we're discussing a Johnny Hole staff. Uh, and I think that it would be effective. So a, a team that gets creative and smart with it might have a real advantage this year being forced into it. Well, Bob, and you can speak. Um, I think one of the problems, and this is, I think this is from all reports, this is a, a broken system in Major League Baseball, is that spring training, they act like a lot of the time, yeah, just, you know, we're going to slowly ramp you up for the season. That's not at all true if you're a pitcher in the minor leagues or if you're trying to make the big league team. There's yeah. no, like, you got to be ready on day one to throw your absolute best or get sent back down or get cut. Bob, can you speak on that sort of culture? I mean, I'm with you that, you know, I treated spring training as like day one, you have to be ready. You have to be ready to go. You don't get the luxury, especially as like you said, a minor league guy, you don't get the luxury of, oh, the first, you know, week and a half, we're going to go out to 100 feet, 120 feet. It's like, I'm showing up to spring training day one. And if I need to throw it over the center field wall, like give me the ball. And you know, this is obviously different because who knows what anybody's able to do currently in their current situation. Garrett Cole's playing catch with his wife. Some of these guys are locked in the house. You know, they have nobody to play catch. They have no way of training other than, you know, maybe some workouts in home workouts. But for a normal spring training, for as long as it is, you know, I would expect some of these guys to, you know, at least if I was the GM or if I was an organization, unless you're Garrett Cole were I can treat, you know, you can treat spring training as your ramp up. You got to come in ready to go. I mean, I, as a player myself, I never stop throwing in the off season. Granted, I'm a position guy. So I don't put this necessarily the stress of a, a bullpen or the torque on my elbow or, you know, all the different factors that a pitcher might have, um, which causes more injury, you know, Tommy John injuries and in pitchers and position guys. But I never stopped throwing. I mean, even if it was, even if I ramped down and I'm going two, three days a week, I mean, if I need to get up to every day, it's going to take me 10 days to two weeks. Whereas now that you basically have to treat everybody like they have been stagnant for essentially two months, probably maybe, mm. maybe longer, eight weeks, 10 weeks. Which is hard weeks. because, and that's the, I think the problem with spring training is, even if you wanted to give guys like, oh, you know, I'm going to like, he needs to ramp up. You still have to evaluate based on what you see. You can't just guess like be like, oh, you know, Dan didn't get to throw as much. Bobby threw a ton. Well, Bobby looks really good. Dan doesn't look as good, but I'll, I'm going to keep Dan because I just believe in him. Like when he's, when he's full, full speed, it's like, no, it's, that's why all these guys that need to make a team, they have to show up ready to throw hundred percent of their velocity. Like if you throw 95 and you show up throwing 92, they're like, what's, are you hurt? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, are, are yeah. you declining? Oh, maybe you're not as good as you were. And then you're just, see ya. So what's, well, yeah. how are you evaluating? You know, how's an organization going to, you know, th these are first world problems when you're talking about who's going to make the big league team. I mean, you got your 30 guys and 26 of them are going to make it essentially. There's not a, you know, your 40 man roster pool is not essentially the guys that have a chance to actually make the big league team um, for most organizations. But you know, you know, you don't need to evaluate Garrett Cole based on day one, but you're going to need to evaluate the 25th guy on the roster day one. Like that guy needs to come in with a different mindset. And there's, yeah. What do you, you know, how do you, how do you separate that? You got, I guess it's more self-awareness, you know, understanding where you fall in the pecking order, but 
You know? I, I think that's going to be interesting, especially for guys uh, that, that were injured. Uh, Dylan Batanzas comes to mind, you know, coming, coming off the Achilles. Uh, what's he going to have to do to show that he's ready to go? And how, yeah. has, how much has he been able to rehab? The answer is quite a bit, I'm guessing. Um, but with, with a lot of these guys, you're right. It's, it's the lower level guys that are going to struggle more. You know, a guy who might have been able to crack the team in a normal spring training is going to have to go to AAA and do it again. Um, it, it's going to be especially you know, that, when we, we add in the service time questions, which are going to be a complete mess this year, uh, their guys are going to get hosed. Um, you know, depending on when the season starts, a guy I'm trying to think of a, a Gavin Lux. Yeah, that guy's not. He, he should be a rookie of the year candidate. And because of the service time questions, if he even comes up this year, I'll be stunned because it makes sense for the Dodgers to screw him out of that year. No doubt, especially especially someone like him, where you where you feel like he's been rumored in trades and the Dodgers have been adamant we are not trading this kid yeah. but then if you get a 60 game season am I going to waste a year on is he going to help me that much more than their backup you know I don't even know who's still the bat and Enrique or uh, Hernandez or yeah Kiki Hernandez yeah Kiki mm-hmm. Hernandez and uh, Chase Utley if he pulls himself out of retirement again for 60 games for the sprint instead of the marathon you probably just take one of those guys as a at a replacement level and hope you catch lightning in a bottle with yeah. one of them and that, that's an interesting one. You mentioned Utley. I haven't heard anything about him and I haven't even thought about him until you mentioned him. But are there guys who were thinking of hanging it up and say, you know what, I can probably do 60 games. And if you're mm. at Chase Utley, I don't think he has Hall of Fame numbers, but if you can add to your case or go after a World Series ring, uh, you, you might see a couple of guys hang up, especially pitchers. You know, if you're a guy at the end of your career like a um, – Adam Wainwright, you know, are you willing to, you know, swallow a bottle of Advil every night at bed to, you know, come back and throw one more year and have a chance? And, and let's admit it, in a shortened season, more teams are going to have a chance. Oh, yeah. yeah I, and true. yes, and the answer is yes, he's willing to do that. <laughs> um, and I, I want to go back real quick because I know Will's got to go in a minute and we're we'll, we'll really appreciative of your time today. What for coaches who might be out there? Because I think what you guys did at Indy was awesome. I mean, you really I think explored a lot of the technology, and it seems like I mean, obviously you guys are killing it with the opener. Because you, you and I briefly talked yesterday about this. What were some of the challenges? Because you said there were some some mental yeah. challenges that are a little bit unseen with using an opener. What were some of those that coaches should be yeah. aware of if they try it? It's tough because it's such a short burst. If you give up a run, it, it's kind of deflating, just like getting behind. Uh, there's a mental challenge. One of our pitchers that was uh, working as the opener tried to figure out how to best warm up. You know, do I warm up as a starter? Do I warm up as a reliever? Um, and and he, he never really found what worked best for him. Uh, for the starters coming in in the second inning, they had to alter their routine and try to time it out in a way that they didn't. Plus, we were going to ask them to, to relieve in the middle of the week, which is something they weren't used to. So that's a change. Uh, the bigger one is you've got to get them on board. Um, you know, when I was playing, my college coach uh, would just tell us, you know, do this and mm-hmm. fully expect us to do this. And if he didn't, he'd just tell us. Um, you know, it was not a democracy. And, and with the, the way the game is today with the kids and the parents, 
you pretty much got to get everybody on board. And, and our coach uh, already did a great job with that. With me, I just wanted to tell him what to do. Uh, I do not like telling pitchers what to do. Um, I like telling pitchers what they need to do. I need you to go out there and get outs. Um, one of the biggest struggles I had with kids was they all want to strike everybody out. They want to strike every single pitcher or every single batter out. And I'm like, no, no, no. Uh, I, I was trying to find a way that the NCAA wouldn't ban me, uh, but give them something for uh, the fewest pitches in an inning. If somebody could have gotten away with a three-pitch inning, uh, I would have bought a mistake then. I wouldn't yeah. actually because that's illegal. But, and then they yeah, uh, lose their eligibility, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so – it, 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 there was something. I was going to make a T-shirt because you can actually do that. Something. Uh, these kids, I think we're teaching pitchers to be scared of bats. Uh, they don't trust the defense behind them. They they see contact as failure. Um, the, the strikeout, as uh, Kevin Costner famously said, it, it's communist. Mm-hmm. Ground balls are dem- uh, democratic. It, it's, yeah. It's some more ground balls. I think we've really got to, especially in an era where the hitters are trying to launch the ball. Yeah, I'm not anti-launch angle here, but if the thing, I can remember when batting average on balls in play, the, the research first came out in the early 2000s. I was like, this is crap. This is crap. There's no way this is right. And it, it's definitely right. But I was not a good pitcher, but I could make guys roll in double plays. Mm-hmm. I, I can make you hit a ground ball at my shortstop. I can do that. That is a skill I have. So if I can do it, of course, Greg Maddox can do it. But turns out, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> it, it was something I felt I could do. But if, if you look back in a larger sample, no, it, it was just I remember the times I got the guy to actually do what I did, not the time he took me to the fence. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's one of the bigger changes. It, it, the mental challenge of it, is going to be how to deal with something that's unusual. And again, this again goes full circle. Getting baseball a change is tough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Will, we really appreciate your time today. So for all of you out there listening, you should definitely keep in touch with Will. So number one, you should follow him on Twitter. He tweets out tons of really, really good information, not just for baseball fans, but for sports fans in general. So if you need a really good source of, of really just someone to follow in the sports industry that's going to give you good injury advice, good baseball advice, good just sports, poignant, timely, interesting sports advice. Definitely follow him. He's at Injury Expert on Twitter. And then I also highly recommend you subscribe to his newsletter. I do. It's underthenife.substack.com, and I'll put links in the show description. But, Will, do you want to talk briefly about your newsletter? Yeah, this is what I did for years at at ESPN and Sports Illustrated and Baseball Prospectus. Uh, It's just write about injuries and explain to you what they are, what to expect from them, how it's going to affect your fantasy team, how it's going to affect uh, the bets you're going to lay the next day, uh, how to get an advantage and to understand them. Uh, I've been doing that for 20 years and it's exciting to get back to it. Uh, it's free until opening day, whenever that may be. Uh, so you can sign up for free, get those. It's not all going to be subscription. There's going to be at least once a week where there's a free kind of recap of what happened. So even if you're not going to pay for it, uh, I think there's going to be some value. Yeah, so you can definitely sign up now, start getting his newsletters for free. And then, you know, when he switches to the pay model, I mean, five bucks a month. I mean, that's a no brainer when you think of all the stuff that could, A, make you a lot more money in fantasy sports or in your betting. 
um, it's just a good investment. So if you're someone like me who follows MLB trade rumors or some of these other little sort of micro blogging platforms to stay up to date with good information, I mean, Will's the same way, but it's much more in depth right to your inbox. Um, I mean, just Will's an awesome writer. So it's, it's something you should definitely sign up for. So again, we'll put the links in the show notes um, and here on Twitter and YouTube. So you can, you can easily do that. But again, it's under the knife com. So Will, thanks again. It's great to see you. It's been a while, but appreciate you coming on the show. Definitely. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate the time. It was great, Will. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, Will. So thank you for being here. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in at 9 a.m. here uh, um, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday on YouTube and Twitter. And if you are new to the show, we do this every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, again, 9 a.m. Eastern. We are going to have some noontime shows coming up soon. So, Bob, we have a West Coast guest on Monday. It's good for, it's, uh, it's good for me. I get to wake up a little later. You get to sleep in. So we'll be here at 12 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. And if you're not on my newsletter list, definitely sign up. You can do that also uh, in the show notes or go to danblute.com. And I send out just an alert where I'm letting you know who's coming on the show and when. Just give you a quick reminder. Obviously, we'll be streaming here on Twitter and YouTube consistently. So you can check replays uh, immediately afterwards. So if you're just tuning in, you want to catch the beginning of the show, you can do that here on Twitter, Periscope, and uh, YouTube. Periscope, if you're not aware, Periscope's confusing. It's like Twitter's like sister app where you can do live streaming. So that's what we use here on Twitter. But And then obviously, we're on Spotify, iTunes, all your podcast platforms. So if you want to catch all of the episodes, this will be up here later this afternoon um, here on Friday. So And you can replay all the other ones. Bob, take us out, my man. Dan, it's been fun. Thanks to Will again. Uh, we will see everybody on Monday. All right, take care. You come out of break tonight, you'll be wearing a charm so free.